Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan. From everywhere you are. Aurora, Newmarket, East Willemberry. This is The Feed. Georgina, King, Whitchurch, Stovall. The Feed is York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to the people that live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, Mental Health on Wheels, Technology and the Law, and winterized tennis bubbles, but we begin with managing your debt. The perfect storm, financially speaking. Inflation in Canada sits at a 30-year high. Interest rates are up with another big hike likely next month. Canadians took on billions in new mortgages during the pandemic, driving the household debt burden to record highs. Credit card debt is on the rise again. The stock market has seen a lot of volatility since the beginning of 2022. So how is all of this impacting people like you and me when it comes to our purchasing power, our ability to pay bills, and to stay afloat while we are drowning in debt. Lori Campbell is well-known nationally as an expert on personal finance and as an advocate for consumer protection. She's currently the Director of Financial Wellness at Bromwich and Smith. Lori, always a pleasure to have you with us on the feed. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Anne? Well, better for hearing your voice, so let's get to it, shall we? The perfect financial storm. Let's start with inflation. Well, we've seen inflation skyrocket over COVID for a number of reasons. Obviously, supply and demand, and we're seeing uh, very little supply. And as that happens, demand goes up, and so do the prices. And we're all feeling that in our pocketbooks. How do we rein it in? How does an individual uh, help to contribute to bringing it down? And how does the government as well? Well, first of all, individuals are going to have to think very carefully about how they shop, where they shop, and when they shop. Obviously, we're seeing uh, higher prices in the grocery store. So, you know, take that list and be very careful with how you shop and how you spend your money and where the costs are rising. That's number one. Gas prices have gone through the roof. And again, you know, the work from home scenario is, is very pleasant for some people for that for that reason uh, alone. And if you can curb your, your, you know, use of your vehicle and diminish the cost in that way, it's going to be huge on your pocketbook. And of course, government has tried to do this through obviously the rising of interest rates. Let's talk about that. Interest rates are rising, possibly another 50 basis points next month. That's pretty tough on people who have borrowed a lot of money. It's crazy. Okay, so we're seeing another 50 basis in June. We've already seen 75 basis uh, in, in the first part of the year. And let's face it, Anne, we are obviously not seeing a reduction in inflation yet. And as I said, supply and demand is one of the biggest problems. So even though we see interest rates going up and that's supposed to curb inflation, if there is no su- uh, supply, inflation will continue to be on the horizon for the next little while. And of course, with the uh, situation in Ukraine, you know, oil prices are going to the roof and that's not going to be curbed anytime soon as well. So yes, it's going to hit Canadians very much. Uh, it's very much a struggle for many Canadians that are already on the edge and trying hard, you know, having a very hard time uh, financially to make ends meet. It's interesting, the word debt, and it is a four-letter word, and maybe there are some positive connotations, but not in this case. So we're talking about personal debt, household debt, mortgage debt, credit card debt. That's a lot of debt. 
Oh, my goodness. It is a four-letter word <laughs> to say it in. You know, let's face it. Uh, we've seen an absolute now record-breaking number with the amount of outstanding debt for Canadians. So for every dollar a Canadian makes, they owe a dollar eighty-six. That's insane. Okay, yes, a lot of this is housing debt. However, let's let's face it. With the interest rates increasing, how we see housing prices falling, and those individuals that may be house poor now are going to struggle immensely when they either renew their mortgage or um, may have a HELOC or a variable mortgage that's going to impact them immediately. So that cost is not going to go away, and you know it could seriously plummet us into a very, very difficult time as Canadians. And so we really should be trying to get ahead of this. Lock in that mortgage now if you can, and look at your finances to make sure you can still afford that home. Let's talk about credit card use. How was it and and the debt that was incurred through the pandemic, and why is credit card use and the increase in debt now on the rise? So, you know, let's face it, we couldn't even go anywhere during COVID. A lot of the stores were shut, uh, restaurants were closed, and so we couldn't, you know, unless you went online, you couldn't really use your credit card, and there really was no need to. So we did curb some credit card debt over the pandemic, and that's a good news story. The bad news story is that people are out using credit uh, in record levels again, and on top of that, on top of that, as we see consumers uh, struggle with household debt because of higher mortgages and higher, you know, higher payments on their mortgages, they're going to rely on credit even more to make ends meet. So it's called, called being house poor, and more house poor people get, the more they rely on their credit cards. We are at the early stages of an election campaign here in Ontario. What should voters be asking candidates about and the party that they think they want to vote for, what should they be asking for in terms of financial, uh, their, their future, and what it is they need in order to feel comfortable? Well, let's take a look at, you know, the, the cost of the pumps. What can be done there? Can, you know, a lot of it's tax. Is, anything, is there anything that can be done there to help curb some of these, these extraordinary costs? What measures has the provincial government uh, taken to try to uh, influence the feds on these increasing interest rates and the impact it does have on individuals? Also, let's take a look at jobs. What is the economic future for Ontarians? Are we looking at a situation where uh, we're going to see more job opportunities come into Ontario? And what can we do to make sure that our government is listening to us and listening to these extraordinary costs that are are thrust upon us right now? StatsCan released recently a census report, and a couple of things stood out for me that maybe you want to comment on. Millennials are the fastest-growing generation in Canada. What does that mean to us in terms of the economic side of things? Well, millennials are really kind of interesting because they often are still living at home with their parents. And on the other side, they don't feel they'll ever be able to get into the housing market because of the cost of housing. And so what is that? It, it could mean that we are in a situation where we have a plethora of homes on the market in the future and, and not as many purchasers because millennials feel they can't afford it. And so that'll impact the housing cost. We know that millennials are, uh, you know, also... Uh, delaying having children, delaying, you know, buying a car and all these other things that really positively impact the economy. So it'll be an interesting couple of years ahead of us. I would think so. And there's this group called the retiring population. What impact will they have on, do you think, jobs and real estate and, and the economy in general here in Canada? 
So the retiring population is, you know, we're looking at a huge uh, bunch of later baby boomers that are going to be retiring within the next, you know, two to five, if not sooner, years. And the impact, of course, is there, there will be more, um, you know, jobs on the market. However, we've, it, 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 you know, you call it kind of a brain drain in a way because the, these, these retirees have such a wealth of knowledge that's going to be lost to us. The other thing is retirees are probably going to want to downsize or sell. And so, again, we're looking at, uh, you know, more housing on the market and less, unfortunately, a reality, less purchases. I want to talk about something that is way in the future, and this came again from StatsCan's census report. The number of Canadians age 85 will triple in 25 years. So what will that mean to health care, to pensions, real estate, and once again, the economy overall? Again, let's talk about health care. Wow, the pressure we've seen during the pandemic on health care has been insurmountable. And then add that to an aging population. It's scary. We're going to have to, there's going to have to be, and this is another thing that the, uh, we should be asking the provincial government what they're going to do about. There's going to have to be an overhaul of the healthcare system. And no doubt, as it is, people are having a hard time finding doctors at this extra stress. And it's going to be crazy. And then on top of that, the housing market. Again, we talked about the fact that these people are going to be downsizing. They might be moving into elderly homes. So there's going to be a plethora of you know homes on the market and we don't know that there's going to be enough buyers for these homes, which means that we're, you know, that we're going to see um, housing markets slow, if not decline, uh, for individuals that are, are yeah, for value. And those individuals trying to sell because they can't afford their homes may end up in a situation that their home is worth more than they bought it, uh, worth less than they bought it for. And it's in a negative situation. So from the future to the here and now, let's let's put a bow on this if we can. And that, that, that I think is a positive thing. And I don't know how we can do it, but we're talking <laughs> interest rates. We we're talking to. inflation. We're talking debt. How does the average Canadian, and I count myself as one of them, hardworking, in debt, trying to make a living, trying to make ends meet, trying to stay afloat. How do we pull it all together? What's your best advice, step by step? Well, first of all, and I mean, anybody in a family situation or or not living alone should be talking to those individuals within their family about how they're going to manage their finances. Worst thing can be for one individual to be out spending while the other one's trying to save or get rid of debt. That's number one, make it a family affair. Number two, you, I mean, I know budget's, budget's not a four-letter word. Some people would say it is, <laughs> but I call it a spending plan. sounds a little bit nicer. So, you know, develop a spending plan. Where are you going to spend your money? How are you going to start curbing debt? Uh, can you consolidate debt into a HELOC or can you consolidate debt into a line of credit at a lower interest rate and then cut up those cards? If you're struggling immensely and you really have nowhere to turn, don't make the mistake of going to some fly-by-night company that says that they can get rid of your debt um, and, and, or get you a, a loan. It's usually going to be a high-interest loan, or it could be a situation where they charge you fees and then send you to a licensed insolvency trustee. You don't need to do that. Go to a licensed insolvency trustee because they are regulated by the federal government, and they will, by law, give you the options that you need to resolve your debt. You know, it's interesting, you you talk about all of the options that are out there. It takes courage to come forward and say to someone, a stranger in most cases, because you're going to a a certified uh, insolvency organization, somebody you don't know, it's really hard to say, I'm in financial trouble. It's so hard, Anne. And and this is one, if there's one message I can get across, is, you know, Anybody can find themselves in financial difficulty. Anybody, you or and I or anybody else in Canada, 
you know, circumstances don't always work in our favor. And, you know, for us at Bromson Smith, we work with compassion, understanding, no judgment. We know how hard it is to open up, you know, and talk about these terribly personal situations. And you're not alone. Absolutely. There's a lot of people in your situation in Canada. And the one message I would say, you're not alone. And there's lots of great help out there. Mm. Lori Campbell. Director of Financial Wellness at Bromwich and Smith, thank you so much for your advice, for your compassion, and for your help. My pleasure, Anne. Anytime. It was a pleasure talking to you, as always. We all know the pandemic was hard on our mental health. Kevin Frankish now with The Bounce Back Strategy. We are just on the tail end of Mental Health Week, May 2nd through the 8th, and this is a week that is taking on more and more importance with each passing year as we find um, people have been experiencing uh, some mental health issues with lockdown, and we just have better diagnostic tools now. Uh, Rachel Summers is a bounce-back coach with CMHA York Region and uh, South Simcoe County, and she is also a person who shares her own personal mental health journey. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. And Mental Health Week, I, I, I said that it's taking on more and more significance with each passing year. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the pandemic in the last few years, the lockdowns, like you mentioned, uh, they compounded existing issues. Um, and really just kind of highlighted stress and anxiety for a lot of us that otherwise, you know, may have gone unnoticed. Tell me about your own uh, personal journey, but I'd like to also know what a bounce-back coach is. My role right now is a bounce-back coach, and we facilitate the bounce-back program, which is a free cognitive behavioral therapy resource that is run by the Canadian Mental Health Association. So for my job right now, that is what I do. And I kind of found my way to this field through going through my own mental health journey and starting to volunteer for CMHA with a support for depression group, actually. And it was through that volunteer opportunity and just connection to this agency and finding it not only helpful for the people that I was leading, but also my own recovery. Um, I really connected with this field and now I've been a bounce back coach for almost two and a half years. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, your, I presume it would be depression? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, definitely depression is something that I, I've dealt with probably since I was quite young, as well as anxiety. Again, probably grade seven, grade eight is when it started to be quite prevalent for me. Um, and it wasn't really until I was actually in university that it became something that I really needed to address and receive outside support. Um, so in terms of finding my own therapist, speaking to my, my family doctor, speaking to even my loved ones about it, that was really a point where I needed a lot of support. And 
I think that a lot of us are reaching that point just with what we've been going through in the last few years, whether it's losing our jobs or losing our business, being fearful for our health or the health of our loved ones. Um, it's really brought us all to, to our needs in some ways in terms of needing support for our mental health. A lot of people don't even know where to start. Like we, we know where to go if, yeah. if we have an ear infection. We know where to go if we break our leg. But if if we are living with depression mm-hmm. or anxiety, any mental health issue, where do you start? Yeah, and that is one of the, the biggest questions, I think, and one of the biggest issues, biggest obstacles for a lot of us when we start to not feel mentally well um, is just, what, what do I do? What even is there to do? Um, so even in my personal life, I've noticed in the last few years, um, you know, I've been contacted a lot by friends and family with that exact question of just what do I do? Where do I go? If it's for them, if it's for um, friends and family, um, even just yesterday, I found a, a close friend of mine, a therapist, because a lot of us just don't have kind of the knowledge of maybe what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So I always recommend first starting just with your practitioner, right? You're overseeing if it's a family doctor, if it's a nurse practitioner, but just informing them of how you're feeling. Because for a lot of us, the formula to being mentally well can include a lot of different things. So maybe it's exercise, maybe it's medication, Maybe it is psychotherapy or a program like Bounce Back. But I think always having your circle of care in the know is really important to kind of track your progress. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I would definitely advocate for Bounce Back as a great resource to start because it is completely free. So it removes that financial boundary. And it is self-guided. So there is the opportunity to work with a coach, to work with someone like me who would check in with you, go through problems with you, talk about how to apply things to your own life. But there also is the option to have access to all of the resources at your, at your fingertips mm-hmm. online whenever you'd like to. So if you are a bit hesitant, if it's a bit daunting to open up this this door to your mental health, there is a way to do it that's totally at your own pace. And I think that's quite special with um, Bounce Back. Um, But even when we think about CMHA and the York and South Simcoe branch that I'm a part of, you know, we have over 30 free programs that we provide, 30 publicly funded programs, and that's for people 12 and up. So youth, family, caregivers, um, there really is a variety of programs for your situation. And because finances is such a, a boundary for so many of us, I definitely encourage, I mean, your listeners and anyone, just look up your local Canadian Mental Health Association branch and just to see what is was offered there as a first step. What's very important is to get mental health services to the youth because uh, research is finding that the bulk of mental health mm-hmm. issues do start when you're young. 
And one thing that uh, CMHA York Region South Simcoe has now in its arsenal is the Mobile Youth Walk-In Clinic, or MOBIS. What's that? Yeah. So MOBIS is... uh a really fantastic thing. Um, So as the name suggests, it's a mobile walking clinic. It looks like a refurbished RV um, with quite some actually beautiful graffiti or mural work on the outside. And it travels around York Region um, to serve as that walk-in clinic where there are nurse practitioners on the bus for you to consult with about things like mood, about things like, you know, how you're feeling. They also have tools around, um, you know, drugs and using that safely, harm reduction, um, sexual health. There are tons of kind of topics that you can bring to Mobis as a youth, and it's a really safe space to have those conversations. Um, the bus, of course, has a door. <laughs> so there is that privacy that you would achieve in a standard doctor's office. Um, but it really comes to you. It comes to the schools. Um, it's going to be at, you know, Mental Health in Motion, which is our event on, on June 12th. What we're fundraising for is Mobis. Um, so it's, it's just a, a way I think we're really revolutionizing access um, and putting it in front of the youth. Because I know for me in high school, I was definitely struggling with my mental health, but we didn't really have the the language around it. There wasn't awareness for what mental health concerns really looked like or or what you could even do about it. Uh, It wasn't really part of the conversation yet. And And there was a stigma. I think... Oh yeah, no, there was there was definitely a stigma. I think one of the coolest things that I see in my work today is, you know, I work with people fifteen and up. Bounce back is available for those fifteen and up, and I work with people in their seventies that are just completely blown away by you know how vulnerable a society we are right now, where we can talk about mental health and there's these conversations that people are having and you know, generational issues that people are uncovering and trying to work on. Mm-hmm. And there is evidently such stigma that that generation carried and lived with, um, where it's something that they are quiet about. Um, it's something that they may not even share with their loved ones, that they work with me, right? It's something hidden. Mm-hmm. And I work with teenagers, um, who I know tell all their friends yeah. <laughs> that they have a call with their bounce back coach and they're working on their mental health and it's become part of the mainstream conversation and it's become something almost to strive for to yeah, be responsible for your mental health and to take care of your mental well being, as opposed to something we were too scared to, to speak mm-hmm. about. All right, Rachel, thank you very much for this. Uh, The nice thing about CMHA is they're everywhere, uh, right across this country. Mm -hmm. And it's just very simple to go to cmha.ca, click on your local uh, where you are, and they'll tell you where your nearest branch is. For uh, I know that they're Mm -hmm. very active in York Region and South Simcoe County as well, and this new mobile system is just one example of that. So thank you very much for everything you do, Rachel, and that CMHA does. After the break, the benefits of technology in law. Do you have a story idea for the feed? 
Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. The headline reads, Reaping the Benefits of Technology in Law Plus a Forecast Drop in Accident Injury Cases. Charles Gluckstein's law firm has just been nominated for three awards, Best Law Firm, Best Use of Technology, and Best Partner of the Year. Mr. Gluckstein himself is an experienced lawyer when it comes to medical malpractice, personal injury, accident injury, and class action suits. The former president of the Ontario Trial Lawyers Association joins us now on the feed to explain how, in his opinion, the legal system has improved and why there could be a drop in accident injury cases. Charles Gluckstein, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Anne. Thanks so much for having me today. So I want to start with technology and the law. How has law and law cases and lawsuits and the law in general benefited from technology. What do you mean by that? So COVID had an enormous impact on the world and has had an enormous impact on our profession in Ontario and the way we access our courts. It's been really a blessing that the justice system has had an influx of cash to sort of get themselves caught up in technology to where most lawyers are today. And so... Give me an example of how this has made it less difficult and more impactful, the the advent of and the increase in technology. So right now, we have a hybrid system for e-hearings in Ontario in the civil system, meaning that if you want to bring a lawsuit and you hire a lawyer, they can both appear in person or they could appear virtually through a program like Zoom or similar technology, which makes it quite easy to access the courts uh, than it used to be. And there are examples of time-saving and money-saving advances as well. Can you give us those? So the courts have also invested in electronic filing. I was part of the e-hearings committee that set up the practice standards for appearing in a virtual or hybrid hearing. Uh, So there's all sorts of savings with filing materials and getting materials to the court. And then, of course, when you appear in court, you can access an online cloud-based system called CaseLines, which also is a huge benefit in savings, which we obviously pass on to our clients. And probably less stressful on everyone at some level. So the idea of appearing in a virtual hearing for our clients who are victims of serious injuries, is a lot more uh, easy to manage when you can do it from your home and Mm -hmm. have your own food and your family nearby than having to go to a downtown law office and appear at a boardroom table with people grilling you all day. So Zoom definitely levels the playing field and makes it a lot more comfortable for our clients. And yet on the flip side, Charles, there's something about face-to-face, and I, I maybe I watch too many courtroom shows on television. I'm sure I do, but I, I'm enthralled. Being able to see the defendant, being able to see the, 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 the suspect, being able to watch the judge and everybody in person and see the nuances and, and even you know the, the sense of smell within the courtroom, is there something that is lost by not having that experience? Definitely, I agree with you, Anne. I, I think that the whole aura of going to a courtroom and creating that uh, system where everyone feels that you know truth has to be upheld 
everyone's watching. Uh, you make sure that the truth comes out. You can see the behaviors, uh, the movements of the of the witness. That's going to be a lot. That's that's unfortunately lost with some of these virtual hearings. And and now the court has mandated that unless agreed upon by counsel, you have to have it as an in person hearing for trials and and significant hearings. Only if counsel agree that it can be done virtually and everyone agrees, then you default back to that other system. So, for instance, um, we will have uh, some witnesses that are not crucial to the case, and they may be out-of-town witnesses. They have to travel a great distance, and there's a cost to that. And there may be uh, a huge benefit to having them appear virtually. Of course, that benefit we want to keep in the system. So you get to pick and choose how you want this hybrid hearing to proceed. You know, one big part of any courtroom scene is that of the jury. And I haven't talked about them, and you haven't as well, and I haven't asked you about them. So will technology benefit them and how the case will move along with with things being done virtually? Is that even an option when it comes to a, a case where there are jurors present? Well, the jurors have to suffer the same consequences as the lawyers that are appearing in a hybrid fashion. So if a witness is appearing virtually, obviously, we're all in the courtroom. There's a TV monitor and the jury has to listen to the evidence on a screen. Uh, but for the most part, juries have not been really modernized through COVID and through these improvements. Everything with a jury is still in person. Uh, there was one state in tech, I think in Texas, they started to do virtual jury trials. So you have your jurors all lined up in different squares on the, uh, on the screen and they would hear the case that way. But I don't think a lot of other jurisdictions have accepted that. And certainly that's not the plan for Ontario. One of your areas of expertise is accident injury, and you are now predicting a drop in these cases. Why? What do you base that on? There are lots of studies out there about the effect of COVID on traffic collisions, and there's been a dramatic decrease, probably some somewhere up to 25 to 40 percent uh, decrease in accidents, and that's saving lives. That's really good news for society. With the return of people coming back to the office and the roads, we are still seeing not quite the same level of traffic collisions recently because of the adaptation to hybrid office environments. So, for instance, mm. our office, which now employs 60 people, only about 15 or so come into the office regularly. So the rest of them are working from their homes and not using their vehicles for work uh, to commute. So essentially that drop, and I can tell you, it translates into a pretty large number of, uh, you know, drop in accident victims, which is really good news. Yes, absolutely. The other aspect to this is modern day technology that we did now find in new vehicles. That must have a bearing on how many crashes we see, and hopefully we see fewer. Well, so when I started practicing in 1999, I... I think there was about 100,000 accident victims a year, a really high number. Currently, I would say it's probably around 50,000, so a drop in half of accident victims. And wow. I attribute that to a lot of it to do with technology. So originally the seatbelts, then the airbags, then lane collision avoidance technology. We've got self-driving technology, all sorts of sensors that keep us from hitting things. And of course, now less people on the roads. So there's a lot of reasons for that drop. Have there been changes to the Insurance Act? 
So since I've started practicing, I can probably count at least 10 times that the Insurance Act has changed to, and, and, and usually to the detriment of the accident victim. Um, the political system is constantly pressured to lower the cost of insurance for drivers. And the insurance system, which has a lot of pressure to pay, uh, pr- pay out uh, the benefits to the victims, has been pressuring government that in order to get the premiums down, they have to take away coverage. So coverage has been dwindling from a very robust system only a few years ago to probably half that system currently today. You know, you just talked about employees working from home, and we're still seeing that as pretty much the norm, although there are some that are migrating back to the office. Can we assume privacy and data breach concerns have been addressed for clients, for those employees working at home? We have ex, uh, so the technology used to manage uh, client information is now all uh, through cloud based systems. So, you know, we used to work in a paper heavy system with banker boxes of files that were stored in, uh, you know, file rooms, et cetera. And that has now been moved to online paperless systems. I, I would say technology has kept up. Whether I am an expert to know how to hack into systems, I can tell you that the current system we're using uses blockchain technology. So that's the latest and greatest, the same stuff that cryptocurrency uses. And I would assume, uh, you know, it's banking quality uh, technology that protects their privacy. And and you know, you should make sure that if you're a client, that you want to know that when you when you speak to your lawyer about how you're your uh, medical records are being protected. Very good advice. Last question, Charles Gluckstein. Are you still as passionate about the law as you were when you first entered this field? It's changed considerably and most most notably through this pandemic. You still love it? No, it's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Uh, so it's a, I, I, I'm part of a multi-generational firm. My dad started this practice in 1962. I joined him in 1999 and sort of took it over in 2013. And, you know, what I love about the law is it's always changing. Cases come out every day and, and we have to change with it. So technology is another passion of mine. And I keep bringing the technology into the practice, allowing hybrid working from home We've also learned over the pandemic and with the decrease in, in accident victims to diversify our practice. So we're doing medical malpractice and sexual abuse law, as well as class action and mass tort. And that diversity and, and the use of technology makes my days very, very exciting and full. So I, I really love what I do, and I love that it's always changing. Hmm. Charles Gluckstein, Gluckstein Lawyers, thank you so much for spending time with us on the feed. Thanks for having me today, Anne. Coming up, winter tennis, anyone? Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. It may be spring, but winter bubbles for tennis and pickleball are on the way. Jim Lang serves up the details. An exciting time for tennis players in Markham and the region. And the region producing some of the best tennis players in the world right now. But the city of Markham teaming up with Premier Racquet Club to break ground on a new facility, Winterize Tennis Bubbles, covering six tennis courts at Markham Tennis Club. It's pretty incredible to talk more about it. Thrilled to be joined by the owner of the Premier Rocket Club and someone at the forefront of promoting tennis in this country, Carl Hale. Carl, how are you? 
I'm fantastic. And just, just a quick reminder that we have pickleball as well. So oh, yes. A I'm... new and a, a newly popular sport. So we're going to have six indoor tennis courts. And then at certain times of the day, we're going to have nine pickleball courts. And Carl, before we get to the tennis, I'm glad you mentioned the pickleball because I'm in my 50s now and I know more and more people. That has become an absolute growing sport in this country. Why is pickleball such a popular sport with a 50 and over crowd? Well, you know what? The truth is it kind of started with a 50 and over crowd, but now it's the move down to the, the lower ages. And oh. it's the fastest growing sport in North America for the past five years. And what they did a study and what they found out, it was 80% of the population has an aptitude to play the sport of pickleball because it's an easier game to play than tennis. So a lot of people that, you know, played tennis before and they're getting older or they want to be a little bit more social because it's a smaller space have gravitated to pickleball. And then a lot of their friends and new people that want to be active picked up the game because it's a little bit easier than tennis. So the growth has been tremendous and we're happy to be a part of it. And Carl, for someone like you with such an extensive tennis background, how much do you enjoy playing pickleball? I love it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a really social group of people that play pickleball and the proximity is, is closer than tennis. So people tend to kind of play off, play and then come off and sit off for a little bit and socialize. So it's, it's a more social sport than tennis. Excellent. Now, as far as tennis is concerned, I mean, between Denis Shapovalov and Milos Raonic and others, York region producing some phenomenal tennis players. I'm crunching some numbers, and I believe my numbers are correctly. Over 4 million people in the province of Ontario consider themselves tennis players. And Carl, I mean, I know tennis is popular, but to me, that's a huge number. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things have attributed to the to that. You know, one for sure is the players you mentioned, Felix, Dennis, Bianca, Layla, the list keeps growing, Milos, Jeannie. So they've kind of put tennis on the forefront uh, for Canadians. Secondly, a lot of new immigrants to Canada um, play tennis in their countries, so they gravitated to it when they come here. And then also during the pandemic, it was one of the social distancing sports that people could participate in. So the sport has grown phenomenally over the last three to five years, especially the last two. And the other thing is, I always think about this, is cost and safety. You know, my wife and I, we have kids, and I always think, what's the cost and what's their potential for injury? Where tennis, you may turn an ankle or something and maybe pull a muscle, but as far as serious injuries and concussions, that's few and far between compared to other contact sports. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, very, very safe. There's very little risk of injury. And also, it's one of the sports that I really promote that you can play for a lifetime. You know, you can play in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you can't say the same for most sports. So uh, um, I'm obviously a huge tennis advocate, but I see the benefits for, for everybody in the community. Speaking with Carl Hale, the owner of the Premier Racquet Club, uh, with a new partnership with the city of Markham, including the groundbreaking of recently of two winterized tennis bubbles. So what does that mean for the tennis and pickleball community in Markham in the region to have these winterized bubbles? Uh, basically, will they be going six, seven days a week throughout the winter? Yeah, it'll be going seven days a week, 14 hours a day, 4,800 hours of available court time to the public. Um, which is great for tennis and pickleball. 
incredible socioeconomic impact. We're going to host a lot of provincial, national, and international events that'll bring people from around the world to, to Markham. So, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can to promote the sport for the community, but also benefit the community at large as much as we possibly can. And your involvement with Premier Rocket Club, and, and I've known you a long time, Carl. Full disclosure, we have go way back, not to age us, but, and I see the growth of tennis and racket sports and pickleball, and I sit back and go, it's, it's incredible, the evolution, slow but steady, and here we are right now. Did you ever envision 15, 20 years ago we would be where we are right now? Uh, it's a very good question, Jim. I remember when we built the stadium, in 2004, we opened uh, at York University for the National Bank Open, which was the Rogers Cup at that time. And when we built it, it was uh, a standard that the ATP imposed on us. And we didn't think that we could fill the stadium, but we had to do it because it was part of being a Masters Series. And at that time, you know, our best player arguably was, you know, 100 in the world. And, you know, we started with a new CEO, Michael Downey, that came and said, the vision is that we have to have great players win Davis Cup, win Grand Slam, do all of the, have top 10 players. And everybody thought he was absolutely crazy. Tennis wasn't really on TV that much, except for the Grand Slams at that time. Fast forward 15, 20 years later, and we have a Grand Slam champion. We didn't win Davis Cup, but we won the ATP Cup this year with Felix and Dennis. We have a lot of top 10 players, both male and female, and the sport is on TV almost weekly now. So I never thought this would happen, and I I can't believe that we're here. But, you know, I'm glad it's tennis and thankful that Michael Downey took the helm and helped us get here. And I and I look at the the big picture too, Carl. And I I find that the average sports fan is so much more educated and knowledgeable about the sport, about the place of Canadian men and women tennis players in their rankings than ever before. Yeah, well, that's that's where the the local players, um, especially Bianca, a few years ago winning the Rogers Cup at the time, and then the U.S. Open, they really help uh, penetrate the social fabric of our country. And you can see that, you know, with hockey, when we play for the gold medal or other sports, how galvanized the public gets around the television to watch our athletes perform on the international stage. So our players have really done that and pushed tennis to the forefront. To get more details, go to premierracketclubs.com. Speaking with Carl Hale, the owner of the Premier Racket Club. So give us a timeline for people really into tennis and pickleball in Markham, in New York region that can't wait to use this facility. It's the ground has been broken, but what are we looking at when we can start actually playing inside of it? Yeah, we're really excited to announce October 1st is our opening date. That month, we're going to open with some great exhibitions. Daniel Nestor, former number one in the world, Grand Slam champion, is going to do an exhibition for us. And then also Colin Johns is number one in the world in pickleball, and he's coming to do a pickleball exhibition. So we want to open with a great bonanza for all of the Markham residents and our members. And we're going to be open 14 hours a day, seven days a week from October 1st to May 1st. So we're looking forward to it. Anybody interested, go to premierracketclubs.com and you'll see the information. And Carl, if it's ever you against Mayor Frank Scarpetti from the city of Markham at a pickleball showdown, my money's on you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I, you know, Frank is, has become a very good friend and, and he made this happen. So we're really grateful to him.
Thank you, Carl. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the sport, for pickleball, for tennis, for racket sports in this country. Uh, I think you're too humble to admit it, but you play a big part in what we're seeing right now in this country. So I really appreciate it. All the best. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jim. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.